Um, so if, if we haven't yet met yet, uh, my name is Mark, and uh, this is my wife, Kara, and she looks awfully cute in my hat. I've got to say that, baby, you look so cute. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and we have the honor of, of leading the team that leads this church, and we love doing what we do. Um, we love Jesus. We love pointing people to Jesus. I love talking about Jesus. Um, so it really, it really is an honor. Um, and it's great, to, if you're a guest, it's great to have you here with us. So I went to a pastor's breakfast this week, uh, and it was wonderful. It was on Thursday. And because summer gets so busy, I hadn't seen most of these pastors for the summer. Uh, and it was over at Victory Christian Center, or v- Victory Church, maybe it is. And um, Mike Ware... Uh, he, he used to be the, he was the founding pastor there and he was the lead pastor there. Uh, then he retired and now he just pours into pastors and he ministers and travels and ministers and just, he's an awesome dude. Uh, and he's from the South, so he has so many crazy stories. Um, and it's all told with an accent, so it makes him even better. So, uh, we were going around the circle, we were just catching up and we hadn't seen each other in so long. It took, I mean, it took an hour just to catch up with everybody. And then afterwards, Mike had this awesome word. Uh, I imagine at some point this church will hear the word because it was really, really fantastic. Um, but it's, it's that sharing time that I kind of, you know, want to kind of circle back on. So during that time, um, there was just really such a sense of vulnerability. And I found out it's been a hard summer for, for a lot of people. And as pastors were sharing, um, they were sharing some stuff just that really, like, grabbed a hold of my heart. Um, and a couple of the pastors shared just about the attack that their their wives had been under. Um, and, you know, it made me think of my wife. Last year was a brutal summer for my wife. Um, she had shingles all summer long. It was painful. I mean, every night, she she cried every night. Uh, it, was, it was just really difficult. Um, and so hearing these pastors share, the common thread about most of them sharing was just kind of people being mean. Like people being just biting and mean. Um, and it fired me up. And I, I want to give you guys a glimpse as to who I am. Okay, I'm the runt of my family. Okay, um, I am. Uh, my, my older brother is 6'6", six, six, I don't know, 300. I mean, just a big dude. And, you know... We played college football. He was a tight end. I was a safety. And there was a time early in college, I was about 19, like someone was like picking a fight with my brother. Like you can tell, like it was, it was leading up to a fight. And so I'm behind and I'm not living for Jesus. And so I'm, I'm ready to fight. And, uh, and they said something that was insulting to my brother. It, it touched on a nerve. And I, I jumped in front of Scott, my big brother, and I'm like, oh, it's on. It's on. And, uh, and I, all of a sudden, you know, I'm up in this guy's face, and Scott, so it was, it, I wish it had all been recorded. Cause he, he grabs me, he goes, no, 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 this is my fight. And so this guy's, so I'm like, hold on, I'll be getting you in a second. I'm like, uh-uh, this is my fight now. And he's like, how in the world could this be your fight? I'm like, cause they just messed with my brother. And when you mess with my brother, then it becomes my fight. And so Scott and I start arguing, and, and we never did fight. Just, just to, we never did fight the guy, um, because the people started laughing, and and uh, the moment passed. It just we ruined the moments. We ruined the fight. 
I ruined the fight. And, uh, and that's just kind of how I'm built. Uh, just to be honest with you, even as a Christian, even though with, with Christ at the center of my life, loyalty is still, um, it's a big trait of mine. That's how, that's how I'm built. So as I'm hearing these pastors share, man, it, it started firing me up. And so I left there, like, really fired up. And that was Thursday. And for two days, I'm still thinking about it. But the problem was, so we prayed for each other there. We, I prayed once. I prayed once for them there. Today I'm preaching on prayer. I'm preaching on being battle ready in prayer. Not battle ready like I was when I was 19 and, and there was immaturity to it, but being battle ready, walking in the maturity of Jesus Christ. Last week, I preached on being battle ready in worship. And I talked about the, the opposite of worship is pride. The opposite of pride is worship, not, not humility. The opposite of pride is worship because worship tears down pride. It's impossible for us to worship Jesus and, and still have pride in operation because when we exalt Jesus, when we focus on Jesus, we don't focus on self, right? See, when I focus on Jesus Christ and how good He is and how loving He is, I don't focus on self. So when we come into this place, I'd say one of the biggest attacks the enemy brings against us is don't worship, don't worship, don't worship. And he uses pride. And and pride takes on many shapes and forms. And we're all vulnerable to it. And I was vulnerable, you know, to to not having Christ at the center this past week in the midst of that situation. I prayed once, but then I left there, that pastor's meeting, still agitated and kind of like wanting to fight for my friends. But then what happened was when I took eyes off of Jesus, then I started remembering those people that have been mean to me and those people that have wronged me and those people that, you know, have been snarky to me and my wife. And, and I allowed my eyes to be taken off Christ and I lost focus. Yesterday morning, I left the house with, with a solid mission. When we're talking about being battle-ready, we're talking about the mission. Right now, as a church, we're talking about the mission that we have of advancing the kingdom of God, of being bold for Him, of reaching a community with the love of God. And I left the house in a mission yesterday morning, and that mission was prayer. And I, I even talked, I was talking to Hawk on the phone, and I said, I can't preach on prayer if I haven't had a day of prayer. Not, not just a moment of prayer, but a, so I, I got away and I found a cool spot where I was looking west and I sat outside and I prayed for hours. And in the midst of that prayer, I prayed for a lot of people. I prayed for those pastors and those pastors' wives that were vulnerable and that shared and whose you know defense I had come to But see, without coming to someone's defense and then going to the throne of God and laying it at the feet of the only one who can heal and save and deliver, then we're not doing anybody any good without prayer. Now, I prayed once. You heard me say that, right? I prayed once. And I'm here to say, guys, praying once is not what we're called to. We're called to have a life of prayer. So I prayed for those pastors. I prayed for their wives. I prayed for this church. I prayed for my family. I prayed for you. Hold on, I, I even wrote a list because I was like, 
Who else did I pray? I prayed for a bunch of people. I can't find my list now because I totally haven't been looking down at all. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And it was wonderful. And I'd pause and I'd listen for a while because I, I didn't want to do all the talking. You know, I'd just listen. I'm like, Lord, are you, are, is there anything you're speaking? And I'd, and I'd just kind of hit the pause button. And I'd pray some more. So I asked the Lord a really important question that I haven't asked him in a long time. And maybe there's some of us in this room that haven't asked him this question in a long time as well. I said, Lord, what am I doing right now that you don't want me to be doing? And what am I not doing, Lord, that you want me to be doing? Good question, right? And then I just sat there in silence. I sat there in silence because when you ask a question like that, then you better have a long pause, right? You better sit there and listen. And here's what the Lord responded. He just spoke to my heart. He said, I'll let you know. Just keep on praying. And I know, I know my father's voice. And, and what he was saying to me was, stay in this place of worship in your life. Make prayer a part of your life and you're not going to have to worry about that. I'll be sharing my heart with you constantly. So I didn't, I didn't hear something right then and there where he's like, you know, stop rooting for the Raiders because that wouldn't, that wouldn't be God. That wouldn't be God. <laughs> Our enemy is relentless, guys. And if we give him an inch, he'll take a mile. But our God is more relentless. Our God is bigger. And all we got to do is stand on the name of Jesus Christ and walk in the authority that he has given us and the enemy has to flee. The Bible says that when we submit to the Lord, then we resist the enemy, then he has to flee. A lot of times we just get it backwards and we just try and resist first without submitting. That's not how it works. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. We use this passage a lot in reference to husbands and wives, right? Hey, you know, we're in the middle of a fight and we're not supposed to let the sun go down on our anger. And so we're going to stay up all night and we're going to talk this out because the Bible says not to let the sun go down on your anger. And so what ends up happening is you stay mad at each other and you stay arguing until the sleepiest person gives in. And then the sleepiest person says, you're right, baby. You're right. I was wrong. I was so wrong. And we do that and we think that's, that's fulfilling this passage. I want to say this, church. If every single one of us will own this, if we will own this passage and say, I... I get to go before my Lord. I get to come before Him in repentance. I get to come before Him and I get to make sure... See, I don't get to make sure any of you go to bed without anger in your heart. I don't. Not a one. But for me, and not even my wife, and not my kids, but for me, I get to make sure I go to bed without anger in my heart. I get to go to bed knowing that I'm not giving the enemy a foothold for tomorrow. I get to go to bed knowing that I am proclaiming grace and, and love and that I'm coming with repentance. And I get to do that so that I wake up with love in my heart. His mercy is new every morning. There's grace. I don't wake up angry. You guys, it affects, it affects sleep. It affects dreams, everything. But I can't do that for any of you and neither can you. 
So we need to own that. Romans 2.4 says this. Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance, which means tolerance, and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. See, heavy-handedness doesn't lead us to repentance. Legalism doesn't lead us to repentance. Religion, religion doesn't lead us to repentance. Throwing people's faults in their faces doesn't lead us to repentance. It's God's kindness. And that we have the choice to flow in, right? So back to that meeting about being all fired up. The thing that was most needed as I carried the burden of someone that I was praying for and that I cared for, the most important thing I could do was prayer. And not just a one-off prayer. Not just a one-off prayer. Not just an obligatory religious prayer. You know, I preached a series on the Lord's Prayer. And I talked about this was never meant to be some religious obligatory thing. There's power in every word of that, of that prayer, every line. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. The disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And this is how Jesus responded. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, honored be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. This is earth, on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. And every one of those has meaning. When we find ourselves up against the wall, that's, that's a great time to pray. But friends, when we find ourselves on the beaches of Mexico, that's a great time to pray as well. There's never a bad time to pray, and there's never a time that we shouldn't be praying. Prayer has so many benefits. I, I Actually, when I first started my prep for this message, I started listing the benefits of prayer, and I stopped. I'm like, it's futile. There's so many benefits to prayer. So I'm going to camp on three. I'm going to circle back on three. I have a list. It's short. But in preparation for my message, I saw an article from 2014. The article was in Psychology Today. And it absolutely amazed me. It was written by a psychological scientist and a professor. And his name was Clay Routledge. I'm saying who, who, who it is just so that you don't think I'm making the story up because you can look it up now. 2014 story in Psychological Today from Clay Routledge. He's also an atheist. Okay? So the guy who wrote this, that I'm going to reference his story, he's a psychologist and a scientist and a professor and an atheist. And the name of the article was this, Five Scientifically Supported Benefits of Prayer. I kid you not. The subtitle was What Science Can Tell Us about the personal and social value of prayer. So according to a 2013 Pew Research poll, I, I didn't know what a Pew Research poll was. I'm thinking Pews. Maybe it's a Christian poll. Maybe the guy's not an atheist. Maybe he's a closet atheist. Maybe he's really just like a covert Christian. So I looked at Pew. I'm thinking, you know, church pews. Pew Research poll is not a Christian poll. It's just a polling. Uh, it's not Christian, so it's just a, a, a polling mechanism. 
According to that 2013 study, it said over half of Americans pray every day. And then a 2012 poll showed that over 75% of Americans believe that prayer is an important part of daily life. So I couldn't find a poll now. I believe those numbers have probably greatly diminished. I just, I'd have a hard time believing that's true today. Other polls indicate that even some atheists and religiously unaffiliated individuals admit that they sometimes pray. So scientists began to consider the potential measurable effects of prayer. And this research suggests that prayer may be beneficial. And they come up with five scientifically supported benefits of prayer. And I want to read them to you. Number one, prayer improves self-control. I'm just going to read this. Prayer improves self-control. Studies have demonstrated that self-control is like a muscle that, uh, that is, it gets fatigued. You can only do so many push-ups before your muscles give out. Similarly, activities that require self-control are fatiguing, making it more difficult to make good choices the more you have to use your self-control muscle. And that was in quotes. Think about it. You are more likely to lose your cool or engage in mindless eating when you are mentally exhausted. Recent research indicates that prayer can help you get more out of your self-control muscle. Research participants participants who said a prayer prior to mentally exhausting task were better able to exercise self-control following that task. In addition, other studies demonstrate that prayer reduces alcohol consumption, which may reflect the exercise of self-control. Findings such as these suggest that prayer has an energizing effect. Well, yeah, I could have told you that, but I'm not a scientist, so it wouldn't mean anything if I got up there and told you that. I love the fact that an atheist scientist says prayer improves self-control. Self-control. Self-control is the only godly form of control we see in the Word. Did you know that? The only godly form of control we see in the Word of God is self-control, and it's a fruit of the Spirit. We're not supposed to have control over one another. God doesn't exert control over us. He gives us freedom. He gives us liberty. He gives us choice. We get to choose Him. So He's not the puppet master. He's not controlling us. But self-control is godly. And this scientific study said prayer improves self-control. That's pretty cool. Number two. Baby, can you help me remember number two? Prayer makes you nicer. Researchers found that having people pray for those in need reduced the amount of aggression they expressed following an anger-inducing experience. In other words, prayer helps you not to lose your cool. You guys think that's true? I think it's true. Number three, this is a scientific study. Number three, prayer makes you more forgiving. Researchers found that having people pray for a romantic partner or friend made them more willing to forgive those individuals. Going back to my my like little mini preach on not letting anger and wrath, you know, not going to bed with anger and wrath. Friends, we should never go to bed without praying for one another in the midst of that situation. Hey, let me pray. Just I know we're not seeing eye to eye. I, I know we're not totally, but let's pray. And then you just pray, Lord, I don't want to be right. My wife doesn't want to be right. Lord, not truly. Lord, we want you to be right. And so we yield to you. And we ask you to have your way. Lord, we ask you to be right because in that situation, we're both going to be happy. In Jesus' name, amen.
still mad at you. Good night. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I love you. Good night. Number four, prayer increases trust. Recent studies found that having people pray together with a close friend increased feelings of unity and trust. Man, I couldn't have found a Christian article that makes that makes this preach any better than this right here. The finding is interesting because it suggests that praying with others can be an experience that brings people closer together. You think? Social praying may thus help build close relationships. You guys, here at this church, we have pre-service prayer every Sunday at 9.15 in, in, the, in the large classroom. We invite you to come. Every Wednesday night, we have prayer, once again, in the large classroom, unless the Fraternal Order of Police are meeting in the big classroom, then we meet in the small classroom. And we pray for 45 minutes on that Wednesday night. And then the first Wednesday of every month, we have something called Deeper Still, where we come together, we worship, we pray, we minister. By the way, this past Wednesday was phenomenal. It was just, just incredible. Um, so I encourage you guys to join us. But prayer matters, and it does. It unifies us. It brings us closer together. And God cares about unity. In Proverbs, it says that He commands a blessing over us when we walk in unity. It's easier to walk in unity if we'll pray for one another. I haven't even gotten to like the scripture for this. This is still the scientific study. Number five, prayer offsets the negative health effects of stress. I won't read that one. That one was longer, but you get the point. It's an absolute rarity to have a scientific atheist professor validate prayer. I could not believe it. I had to start looking. I started researching this guy. I'm like, he's got to be a Christian. This has got to be like a covert operation. And as far as I can see, it's not. Which actually makes the study even better. I have three benefits to prayer I want to talk about. Number one, prayer works. Number two, we get to talk to God and He hears us. Number three, we get to talk to God and He talks back. Prayer works. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer works. Prayer works. Not every prayer that I pray gets answered. I, I, I want to I make that clear. And, and I don't know why. I know that sometimes I, I think I'm praying according to God's will and then I find out that I'm not. I find out what I was praying was according to Mark's will and what I wanted really bad and it wasn't according to God's will. But I know when I pray according to God's will that he hears. But there's so many prayers I pray that never get answered. But there's so many prayers I pray that get answered and God moves. Guys, we, we praying in church should be the most natural thing we do. If you need prayer today for any reason, don't leave here without prayer because it is so normal to pray in church. When you go to a restaurant, what do you do? You eat. When you come to church, we pray. It's natural and we should pray for one another and we should pray corporately. And, and even I've heard people say that our, even our worship is like prayers set to song. And when I get up here and, and preach and I bring the word of God, we're agreeing 
with the Word of God in Scripture. And even that is a form of prayer. So when we come, we should always be quick to pray for one another. And it's okay to just be honest and go, dude, pray for me. Can you pray for me? Just, hey, can I pray for you? Why? Do I look like I need prayer? I don't know. We all need prayer. I just want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? No, I'm going to pray for you anyway. And you can do that with family. Prayer works. Number two, we get to talk to God and He hears us. 1 John 5.14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward God. That if we ask anything, what? According to His will. According to His will, He hears us. See, we, we miss that part sometimes. We think if we ask anything to God, He hears us. That's not true. That's not true. If we ask anything according to His will, in our prayers, you guys, first we've got to, we've got to find the heart of God. That's why, you know, being, that's why spending time in the Word is so vital. That's why I don't just get up here and, and, and preach like Aesop's fables or, you know, feel good things. I mean, I preach the Word of God. I need to know what his heart is, and it's found by, by, in part by studying the Word. So when I pray his will, he hears us. When I pray his will, it also is kind of a wake-up call where I'm like, I'm just, uh, man, I, my heart wasn't lined up with his will on this. I really wanted this really bad, but that really wasn't what he wanted. It's just a good barometer to check where we're at. We get to talk to God, and he hears us. We get to talk to God and He hears us. We get to talk to the Creator of all things, the King of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He has time for us and He hears us. He hears us. That's a powerful thing. You know, growing up in Southern California, um, we saw celebrities... You know, pretty pretty often, you know, it, oh, there's someone in that car. Look at that. That's so-and-so. There goes Tom Selleck. You know, whatever. But I, I feel like I've seen more celebrities um, out, when I lived outside of California. When I was at Oral Roberts University, there was a bagel shop, and my sister and I were in the bagel shop, and we're standing in line, and there's a short girl in front of me, so I'm looking over her. She's, like, tiny. And uh, she had on a hat, and my sister goes, Mark! She was nudging me. She's like, that's Paula Abdul. I'm like, where? She's like, the short one in front of you. You're looking over at her. So I look and I'm like, it is. So I tap her. I'm like, hey, you're Paula Abdul. How you doing? And I start talking to her. And she's like, hi. Yeah, nice to meet you. And I go, hey. <laughs> and so I start talking about me. I'm like, hey, we got some things in common. Number one, I know you're a Laker girl and I love the Lakers. She's like, that's great. Yeah. Thanks. I'm like, and you went to Cal State Northridge? I went to Cal State Northridge. And she's like, it's really good to meet you. And I'm like, it's nice to meet you, Paula Abdul. See, you know, I got to talk to her, and she heard me. But let's use this to segue to this next point. When we pray, we get to talk to God. And He talks back to us. See, when we talk to God... He truly cares about us. He cares about us. Paula didn't care about me. 
I have another celebrity story. There's, there's another celebrity that I actually had two encounters with, and both were phenomenal. You guys know who Maceo Parker is? Maceo Parker is the best, best saxophonist. I, I think he, and I'm totally biased, but he's one of the top saxophonists of all time. He's still alive. He was James Brown's saxophone player. He's phenomenal. Maceo Parker is just, Maceo, you can hear it in James Brown's songs. James Brown, Maceo, go. So I'm at a concert, and, and, and Maceo's not the featured artist, but he's there, and he's playing, and he's, the stage was like positioned like a plus sign. So he'd walk up, he'd walk to one end of the stage, and then he'd kind of walk back to the plus, and he'd walk to another end, and we had third row seats. And I'm losing it. I'm like, this is Maceo. This is, I'm like, stand up. And like, people are sitting down. They're like, it's some old, you know, some old dude. I'm like, that's Maceo Parker. So he's sitting there playing as close as I am to Kara. And I'm losing it. Maceo, you're the man, Maceo. You're the man. You're the best ever, Maceo. I love you, Maceo. You're awesome. And he nods at me. I'm like, Maceo, just, you're the man, Maceo. And so he's like, so he walks back, like to go to the next sec- you know, the next section, and I'm still losing it, right? I'm like, Maceo, you're the man. So he walks, and Kara can attest to this. He walks back, and he looks at me, and he plays, and I'm still losing it. And he's just nodding at me, and he he played for me. That's the honest truth. It was Pepsi Center. The place was packed. And three quarters of people probably didn't know who he was. But I knew who he was, and I honored him, and I called him by name, and I recognized him, and he didn't just hear me. He he gave audience to me. It was remarkable. It was remarkable. There was another time we're in the airport, and I hear someone like, you know, Maceo Parker, party of five, you know, gate such and such, and I'm like... There can't be another Maceo. Oh, no, it was just Parker. Parker, party of whatever. And I knew that Maceo was in town for a concert, and I didn't get to see him. And I'm like, baby, do this, Maceo? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm going to gate such and such. And I took off. And I, I ran through the airport. And sure enough, there's Maceo Parker. And I, I'm like, Maceo. And I just start talking to him. And I'm like, Man, you're amazing. You know, I so appreciate your talent and your music. And he's like, oh, thanks, brother. And, and he grabs it, he goes, let me, and he asks the old lady, he goes, can I have that boarding pass back? And he grabs his boarding pass back from the attendant, and he signs it and goes, there you go, brother. And so Maceo Parker is awesome, by the way. <laughs> Maceo is a great name for a son or a daughter or a dog or whatever, if you're just thinking about it. So I, I've met several celebrities, and they, they hear you and they listen, but I've never had an experience like, like that where they... They gave audience, where they actually talked back. You guys, our God talks back. Our God hears us. Our God cares. When when we come before Him, He cares. Second yeah. Timothy two seven says this. I want to read two passages, and I want you to look at the the wording of this. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding. There's times when I am thinking over what the Lord says, when I'm meditating on the Word of God, and He gives me understanding. And that's God's response to me. That's the Holy Spirit bringing the Word of God alive, and He brings understanding, and it comes to my mind. 
And if we're not, if our heart's not set on believing that God speaks to us, we could dismiss it and we think it's our own thought because this passage says, think, and I want to bring understanding. While we're thinking about God's word, is he going to bring understanding to our hand? Is he going to bring understanding, you know, to our knee? When we're thinking about the word of God, he brings understanding to our mind. He gives us a mind. We're supposed to use it. We don't often or often enough, but we're supposed to. Each person of the Godhead, and I I can't get into this, we don't have time, but each person of the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, has all been the dominant voice to mankind at different phases of existence. In the Old Testament, we saw it was the voice of the Father that was the dominant voice. So when, when God was speaking to man, it was the Father speaking to man. That when Jesus was here on the earth and during his ministry, Jesus Christ was the dominant voice. So I'm not saying the only voice. I'm not saying the only voice. I'm saying the dominant voice that God spoke through was the Son, was Jesus. And then when Jesus ascended, he said, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he will be an advocate for you and he will be a teacher and he will guide you into all truth. And so now, here on earth, the dominant voice of God that speaks to us is the Holy Spirit, guiding us into all truth. Not the only voice. I believe there's times we hear from the Father. I believe there's times we hear from Jesus. But the, the prominent voice. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13 says this. You will call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will hear you. That's fantastic in itself. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Friends, hearing the voice of God, please hear me. Hearing the voice of God requires a wholehearted seeking of His voice. It requires all of our heart. We live in such a microwave society. We live in such an instant society. There's times I think we're so flippant about calling out to God and we expect in the midst of our half-hearted efforts that we're going to hear from God. It's my experience that in our half-hearted efforts, we don't hear from God. Even if He's speaking, we don't hear from God because we're too, consul- we're too consumed with self. I can't ask God questions like, Lord, what am I doing right now that you don't want me to be doing? I can't hear a response if I'm not what? Listening. Listening. With my mind, with my heart, with the Spirit. Listening. Lord, are you going to give me a passage? Or are you going to speak directly? Or is there going to be a skywriter, like a plane drive-by that gets me a mess? I don't know how you're going to speak, but I'm looking and I'm listening and I'm seeking you with all of my heart. You guys, there are no shortcuts to this. I'm sorry. I know our society loves shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to this. It has to be a wholehearted seeking. And then it is quite phenomenal. Like when we hear from God, when to know that I mean, I was excited about stinking Maceo Parker. And that's just a man. But when our God speaks back and gives us a word, and tells us about how prized we are and how much he loves us and how good he is and that to hold on, that we're going to make it through. Man, it's, it's phenomenal. It's God. For us to hear from God. He asks for our whole heart's pursuit. Is that too much to ask? Is it too much to ask? 
To hear from God, he asks for our whole heart's pursuit. You guys, that's not the society we live in. We live in the society where, where we are so spread thin and we give our attention and our affections to so many different things. I mean, we live in a society where I can talk about God being awesome and then I can go across the parking lot to Abo's Pizza and say this pepperoni slice is awesome. To hear from God, he asks for our pursuit, our whole heart to pursue him. And he promises us this, you'll find me. John ten fourteen, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My sheep, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep know my voice. You guys, it's not enough just to know about Jesus. We got to know Jesus. It's about a relationship. It's not religion. It's not about a cross, whether there's a figure on it or whether it's empty. It's about Jesus. We come to the cross, but then we have to go through the cross. We've got to grow in relationship with who he is. We know Jesus. Don't just know of him. I know of Maceo Parker. I don't know Maceo Parker. And Maceo Parker doesn't know me. But Jesus says here, I know you and you know me. We get to know him. How, if Macy would have been like, I'm going to go ahead and miss that flight. Let's, let's do lunch. I'm buying you lunch. I really want to get to know you. Of course, that didn't happen. That doesn't happen. Except in like John Hughes films or something. I don't know. But God wants to know us. John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life that they know you. So this is Jesus speaking to the Father. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ who is talking about himself, whom you have sent. I have one last passage of scripture. It's out of Philippians 4. And I'm going to read 4 through 9 and I'm just going to stop because it touches on some vital components, vital values of our Christian faith. Vital values of our Christian faith. Guys, we're built with vital organs. And if we're ever, like, you know, out lost in, the, in a blizzard, we can survive without... We can survive with certain things because the body starts shutting down other parts of the body to preserve the vital organs. There's vital values that we've got to hold dear and that we've got to say, these are the things that I'm going to make important in my life. And Philippians 4 talks about them. So in verse 4 through 5, it talks about worship. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your gentle spirit be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. You know, one of my favorite passages, the Bible says wherever two or three are gathered in, in my name, there I am in the midst of you. You know what he's saying? Is he, is he getting caught up on numbers? You know what he's saying? He's saying, I care about unity. I care about unity. So get together. And if there's even two of you there, I'm there with you because I care about unity. I care about togetherness. I care about closeness. So in our prayer, that's why it's important we pray for one another because God cares about our unity. Still in Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, that is so rich. I preached an entire message on those two verses. Guys, when we come to the Lord in prayer, it's so important we come with a thankful heart. (sighs) All right, Lord, I'm stressed. Lord, I'm angry. Lord, I've had a rough week. Lord, I'm frustrated. But Lord, I remember you and you're good. Let me find one thing. Let me find one thing. Lord, I thank you that I'm alive. All right, that wasn't too hard. Let me find something else. Lord, I thank you that I'm alive and that my wife still loves me. Lord, I thank you that I'm alive and that my wife still loves me and I thank you for my dog, Stella. And whatever, man, once you start being thankful, it just, it's contagious. And this is how we're to come to the Lord in prayer with thankfulness. And it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which means it doesn't matter what kind of a storm we're in, the peace of God, which, which defies our understanding, will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. Isn't that an incredible visual? I mean, there's some you know big dudes in this place, and I could you know if I needed a guard, I, I'd call upon some of those dudes. But it's not as big as the the peace of God guarding my heart. That's what I want. Verse eight now talks about meditation. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, what does it tell us to do? Think about these things. Change your mind. Set your mind. Think about something nice and lovely and pure and praiseworthy and excellent. And quit thinking about the bigness of your problem or the ugliness of your problem. Change your mind. Look at life through the filter of a bigger God. This, this passage is phenomenal. And then verse 9 talks about Scripture. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If you read the next six verses, it talks about giving. And I believe that's one of those values there. But for the sake of today, I'm not, I'm not going to go over that. I believe that prayer has to be at the absolute center of who we are. It has to be at the center. I, Andy and I were talking yesterday and, you know, both just kind of sharing some things, that just hard things. And I'm like, man, I, I've prayed for you this week, but I haven't prayed enough. I want to pray for you more. And he's like, I prayed for you this week. And I'm sitting there thinking, why haven't I prayed for Mark more? I want to pray for you more. Daryl Evans sings a song that says, you could never be praised enough awesome song. You could never be praised enough. And I believe that. The Lord could never be praised enough. One of my favorite songs is Your praise shall ever be on my lips. But I also believe this is true about prayer. It's No matter how much we pray, it's always beneficial to pray more. And not just beneficial to me. And not just beneficial to me. That's the beauty of this. Because God wants to command a blessing in the midst of our unity. I've got to pray for you. It's beneficial for you if I pray for you. It's beneficial for you if you pray for me. It's beneficial for me to pray for me. But to pray more. 
It was a rarity. I'm not, I am not trying to make it sound like I'm Mark Harper, pastor extraordinaire who spends hours in prayer every day. I can't remember the last time I spent hours in prayer like I did yesterday. I can't remember the last time. It's a rarity and it shouldn't be. But I had hours in prayer and it was incredible. It changed my whole perspective. It changed the whole heaviness that I was carrying before because I got to do something about that heaviness instead of just carrying it. I got to pray. I got to take it to the throne of God and lay it at His feet and say, I'm leaving it there. I'm leaving it there because I can't do anything about it, but God, you can. And then I went and I ran into Eleanor and... uh and we got to chat briefly and then I went to Starbucks and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to put all these notes together, all these dangling participles. I'm going to bring them in together and wrap them up nicely. And I decided, oh, I'm going to some, play some praise music. So I played the song, You Could Never Be, or Your Praise Shall Ever Be On My Lips. And I just started bawling. There I am in Starbucks, my headphones on, so I don't know if I'm making the crying sounds or not. You know, because I can't hear. I'm trying to keep all the crying sounds in, but there's tears and there's snot, and it's like, you know, it's the, the full cry, man. And I'm like, Lord, you are worthy. And then I, going back to that message on worship, my focus was not on me, friends. My focus was on Jesus. See, when I preach messages to you, I want to make something abundantly clear. I preach them to me too, because I'm a man, I'm a dude, and I'm not perfect, I'm flawed. Not perfect. There's not a preacher in this town perfect. Not a preacher in this world perfect. There was only one perfect and that's why we bear his name and that's why we exalt his name and that's Jesus. And so when I preach a message about worship takes our eyes off of self, I I should have listened to that message again because it's easy to take our eyes off of Christ and put it on ourself. But I'm telling you right now, prayer is a mighty weapon that we have that reminds us of how great our God is.